If you need a theme song behind your, or playing behind your homemade fireworks show this, this Wednesday, you can email John. He'll go ahead and send that one. I, I just, it might go illegal, though. Right? It might be a little too big if you do something like that. Hey, welcome again. If you're new, first time here, we're so grateful that you are here. A little connection card in the bulletin. You can fill it out. Turn it into the I'm New table in the foyer. We'd love to get to meet you, give you a bunch of information about this church, what God is doing in this place, how you can get more uh, involved. Hey, a couple of months ago, I asked you guys to fill out a survey. It's called the Generational Survey, West Bowl's Generational Survey. Uh, we are in the process of kind of calculating all the different results from that survey. So I just wanted to give you a, a little heads up. We were super excited, about 200 people or so, tell us what they thought. Every generation was represented, which was really exciting. And we just wanted to see who are we currently ministering to well here at West Bowl's and what generations might be falling through the cracks. So just know that we're working through that as an eldership and staff. We're, we're praying over that information, and uh, we'll have some cool new things. Things starting in the fall. Uh, in particular, in August, we're thinking about doing a sermon series called Generation Jesus, where we look at every generation that's represented here at West Bowles, and we just talk about them. We talk about their strengths and weaknesses, the things that God has taught them, the things that, or the ways that God has used them. And so, you know, we have a thing here in the States called ageism, where we blast the old people for one thing, and we criticize the young people for something else. Well, that's not of Christ at all. And so we want to say every generation is needed here, is so valuable here, and we want to honor you and serve you and strengthen you. Amen? And so we're going to do that Generation Jesus starting in August. But right now, we are currently in a sermon series called Overcome. Uh, if you are new or haven't been here in a while, we're using the story of David and Goliath as a springboard to talk about and address all the different giants that we face, all the different obstacles, problems, hurdles, if you will, that each of us comes against throughout our daily lives and over the course of life. Uh, and thus far in this series, we've talked specifically about the giants of fear, shame, guilt, pride, and addiction. And if you missed any of those messages, go back online, check out our podcast. I encourage you. I think each of these messages is a standalone, but they also build on one another. And there's power in understanding each of these different giants because we'll face them at different times in our lives. Here's kind of a quick summary of what we've covered thus far. You overcome the giant of fear through faith. You overcome the giant of guilt through grace. You overcome the giant of rejection by focusing on your selection. And you overcome addictions by dying to self and being filled with the Spirit. I had really creative words all the way till number four, and then I couldn't think of anything there at the end. And so I was like, darn it! There's no word that die to self, be filled with the Spirit that rhymes with addiction. So we just had to go with the self-explanatory one. But the next giant that I want to talk about this morning, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But here's why. Because this particular giant excels at and thrives at making you think that nothing in life is that big of a deal. Our next giant is best depicted by this little emoji right here. Anybody know this guy? Anybody know what this guy's called? Meh. Meh. Meh is used to express a lack of interest, right? Or a lack of enthusiasm. You use the meh face when you're unimpressed, when you're uninspired. The movie was meh. The concert was meh. The food at that new restaurant, meh. The sermon on Sunday changed my life forever. That's what you better say. So good, in fact, I want to single-handedly pay off the church's debt. Not me, that's you, I'm speaking anyway. Meh is a way to say or to show uh, that you just just aren't feeling it. There's certain things just, just aren't doing it for you. 
They're not as good as you had hoped or as exciting as others had, had promised or posted about. And it's okay to feel meh when it comes to certain things in life, but it becomes a real problem when that's how you would describe the entirety of your life. You with me? If the word meh isn't resonating with you, maybe words like ambivalence, apathy, indifference, laziness, boredom, being stuck, right? Something like that. Maybe that's more appropriate, more applicable. Meh goes by a lot of different names, but it's something that a lot of us struggle with, from feeling just kind of stuck to doing things rather half-heartedly. We all know what it feels like to go through life as we just go through the motions, And if we aren't careful, this feeling of complacency is what we'll call the giant, the giant of complacency. Well, it can turn into a 10-foot, hairy, scary beast that just screams at you every day and limits you in ways you're probably not even fully aware of. This is not a new problem or a new phenomenon. People have been struggling with the meh mentality or the problem of complacency really since the beginning of time, but especially in the first century it looked like. Revelation 3 says this, Jesus writes to a church, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm not sure uh, about you, but outside of washing my hands, lukewarm water just doesn't really do it for me. Right? I want really hot water for my, for my tea or my coffee. I want really cold water for my lemonade. I don't want something in between. That's what the Lord is saying here in this moment. You are in between, church. You're lukewarm. And God says, I want more for you. I've called you to be more, being lukewarm, somewhere in the middle, indifferent, not really caring this much or that much about this or not really caring that much about this, just kind of being meh. No, that's not of God. That is not of God at all. He wants and expects and calls his church to be committed to certain things, working towards certain things, passionate and excited about certain things, not meh. So this morning, I want to share a story with you that I think shows us how to overcome the giant of complacency. This, uh, the story is found in John 21. So if you have a Bible, uh, open it there. If not, I'll be reading it for you on the screen. John 21, beginning verse 1. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. So seven of the twelve were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them all, and they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. doesn't seem like a whole lot is going on here, but just wait a second, because I think a whole lot is going on here. For three years, the men listed in this story, along with five others, at the 12 disciples, they have been a part of some of the most incredible stuff this world has ever seen the likes of. They have literally walked with the miracle man, Jesus as he has cured the incurable, touched the untouchable, loved the unlovable. They have witnessed, personally witnessed, with their own two eyes, the most miraculous things this world has ever seen. Sight to blind eyes, cleansing to diseased skin, healing to severed relationships, hope to broken hearts. They saw all of this for three years straight, every single day. They have tasted and witnessed the miraculous. But here on this day, random day, described for us in John 21, it just seems like something's off, doesn't it? 
for one reason or another, it seems like the giant of complacency or, or meh has made his way into the story and made his way into the disciples' hearts, especially the heart of Peter. See, three years earlier, Christ called Peter to drop his nets, to leave the fishing industry completely, and to follow him into a life of meaning and significance and influence that Peter would have never known otherwise. And he did. Remember the story? He says he dropped it all. He left it all, and he walked with Jesus. He left behind the life he knew, the only life he knew, for a life he had no idea was going to be like, but a better life that Jesus promised him, a full, abundant, meaningful life. But in this moment, and and for reasons we probably will never fully fathom or appreciate or or understand, Peter Peter goes back. He literally takes a step back. He seems to be defaulting to his old way of life. Maybe he's bored in this moment. Maybe he's hurt in this moment. Maybe he's confused in this moment. Maybe he's just looking for a little R&R because he hasn't had a day off for three and a half years, and I'm making a much bigger deal out of this story than I should be. I don't know. But I think a lot more is going on here than meets the eye. I think when he says, I just want to go fishing, I think it's a very telling statement and a very sad statement. The man literally walked with Christ. He literally interacted with the resurrected Lord. He literally received the power of the Holy Spirit. He has seen and done and been a part of and received things no other man in all of history has done. And with that power, he just wants to go fishing. With all of that that he learned, all the things he's experienced over the last couple of years, he just wants to go sit in a boat for a couple of days, a couple of hours. Talk about meh. Peter, what are you going to do now? You won the Super Bowl, right? That kind of idea. Fish. No, you're supposed to go to Disney World, fool. Right? You're supposed to go out and celebrate. You're supposed to go do all these exciting, fun things. This is the meh mentality. It's as if he's defaulting to what comes easy. He's going back to what comes natural. He's taking the path of least resistance. You see that? He's just kind of going back to doing what he's always done. He is choosing to do that which doesn't ask or demand or require that much of him. And isn't that so sad? Because Peter is the passionate guy. He's the crazy one. He's like the, the fly by the handle, say anything, get excited about everything, you know, swing the sword around, disciple. This is Peter, and he's meh right now. Peter, you can't be meh, man. Like, you're, you're the poster child for the un-meh. And now you just want to go fishing? No. Don't become complacent on us now, Peter, please. Many of us know this feeling, though, don't we? We aren't depressed, per se, and we are going to talk about the giant of depression in two weeks, but we just aren't, we just aren't feeling it right now either. We aren't mad, but we, we don't have a whole lot of joy either. We aren't frustrated, but we aren't very excited about anything. Boredom, confusion, apathy, laziness, some of us just keep doing what's easiest We just kind of keep doing what we've always done with no thought. We we settle. We go back into old habits, back into old ways of thinking. We end up in a position or a place it doesn't require much energy, much much thought. We just go fishing because it's easier. You with me? You ever been in that place? Like there's so much being asked of me and there's so many chances I could take, so many opportunities I could could jump into, but you know, I'm just going to play. I'm just going to do the same old thing. I'm just going to go fishing. It's just easier to go fishing. 
And that's a huge problem because here's why. Did you pick up on the last line, verse 3? And that night, what? They caught nothing. This is, this is not just like, oh, and by the way, this is, a, this is a commentary on where they are. This seems to suggest they shouldn't be where they're supposed to be. This is not the place God designed for them to be. This is not a place of abundance and provision. This isn't what God wanted for them, living a whatever kind of life, a meh life, a let's just do what comes easy kind of life. It results in nothing for you and from you. Does that make sense? Complacency and apathy and indifference will always produce nothing. Nothing. Nothing in you, nothing through you, nothing for you. If you are stuck in the meh mentality, you can expect to catch nothing. The only way to overcome this giant, this giant that like Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 stands in the valley of Elah every day and yells at you, yells things like this, don't get too excited now, Thomas. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. You better not get your hopes up because the church is going to let you down. Don't invest too much or give too much. Don't risk anything. Don't take any chances. Don't be like those religious freaks who raise their hands and raise their voices. Don't be like those folks who really think this stuff is true because it's, it's not. Don't, don't do that. You better play it cool. You better play it safe. You better not make any waves. You know the voice of that giant? Get stuck in the meh mentality. Just, just go fishing. The only way to overcome that giant is to have Jesus Christ personally interrupt you and then personally invite you into so much more. That's what he does in the story. Let me show you John 21, verse 4. Early that morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, how about you throw your net on the right side of the boat? You'll, you'll find some there. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, he'd taken it off, he jumped into the water. Their disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, only about 100 yards away. This whole story got me thinking about, you know, what the great baseball player Yogi Berra said back in the day. It's like deja vu all over again. Right? This story, John 21, it's full of things we've seen before, is it not? The disciples originally met Jesus on these waters. The disciples were already told by some stranger on the shore to try the other side of the boat after they tried all night and caught nothing. The disciples have already, on this lake, hauled in a miraculous catch of fish that no fisherman had ever caught before. We've read this story already. We've been here before. We've done this before. We've heard these words before. And I think that is very intentional. Jesus meets us in our meh. You with me? Jesus meets us in our place of routine and complacency. The disciples could have and probably should have been out like ministering to people, healing the sick, saving the world, doing what they were told to do, but they weren't. They just, they just went back to fishing. They should have been out doing incredible things if they were just on this little boat. They were right back to where they started. But Jesus meets them in that place. Oh, I love that so much. When we are stuck, when we just aren't feeling it, when we have this meh mentality about something in life or all of life for that, uh, for that reason, you know, for that, that purpose, 
Jesus meets us in that place. He doesn't rebuke us or yell at us or he doesn't move on without us. Are you kidding me right now? You guys are fishing. I'm going to take the other five who are praying in the upper room. I'm going to do crazy things with them. You guys obviously don't get it. We're done. Right? That's how the story could have played out. But he meets these seven in their meh. And we're just going through the motions or running from responsibility or taking the easy way out or falling into old patterns. Jesus meets us in that place. You're not alone on that boat. You're not alone in that place of feeling stuck. Just look up. Jesus is right there on the shore. He's right there on the beach. He's meeting you in your meh. He wants to get your attention because here's why. He gives us the cure for complacency as the story continues. Verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 to be exact. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come, come and have breakfast. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, much has been said about some of the specific things in this story. If we had all day, we could have some fun with it. The number of fish and the different words used for love here. And do you love me more than these? Talking about the fish or the boys or whatever, right? I just want to point out three things real fast. Three things that I think will help us overcome complacency. This is the cure to complacency. Jesus gives it to us right in this text. Write these down. Number one, spend more time with your maker. I don't know about you, but my favorite meal, without a doubt, breakfast. At least my favorite food, without a doubt, breakfast food. Anybody else with me? Like, I can eat breakfast every meal of every day. I used to work on, like, a little bakery, but I have to get there at 6 a.m. Side note, I don't have time to tell a story, but it's a really great story. Bakers? I don't know if, is anybody a baker, like, professional baker at a, at a, at a restaurant? They are some of the strangest folks you've ever met in your entire life. They work like from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. It's a little bakery. I would come in. He's like rocking death metal music at 6 a.m., covered in flour, pumping out little strawberry cinnamon rolls. Like, wait, that doesn't seem to go together, right? Like, rawr, rawr, rawr. would you like a pecan roll? Extra caramel sauce? So I love breakfast. Worked in the bakery, would serve breakfast right at 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. They don't, they don't serve anything else, just breakfast. I love me some breakfast. I could eat it all day, every day. In fact, whenever we go out to staff lunch and I get to pick, guess what? Breakfast. Like Le Peep, Denny's. I'm high class, right? I'm high finance. The staff's like, no, not breakfast again. But you know why I love breakfast so much? Jesus. Because Jesus loves breakfast. People, John 21. I'm a pastor, duh. In the middle of their confusion and complacency and emptiness and boredom, Jesus invites the disciples to, to guess what? To breakfast. In the middle of their meh, he invites them to have breakfast. Think about that just, just for a second. The great God of the universe. He just conquered sin. He just defeated death. 
He just publicly humiliated Satan, the ruler of this world. That God, he's sitting on the beach making you breakfast. Why? Because that's just how good he is. That's just how in love with you he is. That's just how caring he is. In the middle of your meh, he comes to you, and he makes you breakfast. I love that. I want you to take him up on his offer. I want you just to go to the beach, go on the shore, and just spend some time with your maker, because that's the first way you overcome complacency. Here's why. Psalm 1611, you, God, make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Look at that verse, the path of life, filled with joy, eternal pleasures. Who doesn't want that, right? Who wouldn't, who wouldn't pay for that? That's exactly what we need. That's what we all desire, especially if we're stuck in a place of, of meh. But the only way you find it, the only place you can go to find that is in God's presence. Those things are at his right hand. They're nowhere else. You don't work harder. You don't take a better vacation or go away for six months next year instead of four months. You don't get a second house or some sweet toys. You don't look at more of this or try more of that. The only way you find these things is in God's presence. If you're not in his presence, if you're not spending time with him, you will not experience any of these things. He made you. He knows you more than you know yourself. He has plans and purposes just for you. He can help you and heal you like nobody else can. Run to him. Jump off the boat. Put your clothes on. Start whatever you got to do. Go to your maker because that's how you overcome man. I have never met anyone who has spent serious time with the Lord, who has communed with the Lord, who wasn't transformed by that time. And so I just encourage you, be with him. Be with your maker and you will, you will break free from man. The second thing that will help you to break free from your man is coming to terms with your mistakes. If you're familiar with the story of Peter, then a few things here in John 21, they might stand out to you. The text tells us Jesus was on the beach making breakfast. He was doing so over a fire of burning coals. How many of you love the smell of a campfire? Love the smell of something just grilling right on the back deck or whatever? Our neighbor just got this Traeger grill. Anybody know what that Traeger grill thing is? Like it cooks every meal perfectly, plus it like makes your grocery list and goes to the store for you. It's like, Traeger, you're amazing. Anyway, he's cooking ribs out on his Traeger grill, and I'm downwind on my deck. I probably look like the dude from Home Improvement, like, Alex, what you cooking? Love me the smell of something over the open flame, right? Most people enjoy that smell. I don't think that was true for Peter. See, the phrase charcoal fire is only used one other time in all the Bible. You know where that is? It's the third and final time where Peter denies Christ. He did it over a charcoal fire. It was the moment where Peter denied Christ for that last time. He's standing around a charcoal fire and he adamantly denies knowing or, or caring or being a follower of that man, that Jesus right there. After swearing he would never say such a thing, it's around a charcoal fire where he says that very thing. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, of all the ways he could have been cooking breakfast for the guys, chose a charcoal fire. 
I'm sure Peter's mind immediately went back to that moment. He looks at that, those flames, he looks at those, those burning charcoals, and he has to think, man, the last time I stood around this, it wasn't so good for me. The last time I was in this place, it didn't turn out too good for me. I'm sure he went back to his mistakes. And if he didn't, I'm sure he did after Jesus started asking him these questions. Three times, it says, Christ asks Peter if he loves him. And the third time, the text literally tells us Peter was pretty hurt by all this because he asked him a third time. Now, regardless of the history or the particulars, if you're ever asked something three times, doesn't it feel a little condescending? Like, did you brush your teeth? No, did you brush? I'm going to ask again. Did you brush your teeth? Three times, kind of like, yes, come on. I, I told you the first time. So regardless of the particulars, but you know, here the three times, what is it referring to? What is Jesus trying to point, up, point out, I should say? The three denials. These three questions are very specific, and they all go back to the three times that Peter denied Christ. Peter knows it, Jesus knows it, and it's as if Jesus is like, we got to talk about the elephant in the room right now, man. You made some horrible mistakes. You know it, and I know it. we got to deal with this. we got to come to terms with this. But I think these questions, just like the charcoal fire, just like the meal, they are rooted in God's grace. They're rooted in God's love. They're an expression of his mercy. He's not trying to embarrass Peter in this moment. I'm not trying to get him to you know, drill down and, and feel really bad, be filled with guilt and shame. In asking Peter three times if he loves him, yes, he's referring to his three mistakes, but I think he's also trying to call him out of those three mistakes. He wants him to rise above those mistakes, learn from those mistakes. I hear Jesus saying this, the last time you said something three times, Peter, you were saying you didn't even know me. That was a huge mistake. But now, now I want you to say something else three times. I want you to say what you really believe. I want you to say what you would say if you were given the opportunity again. I want you to say what's deep in your heart. I want you to cover those three denials with three proclamations. I want you to cover up the three mistakes you made with three statements of belief. No longer will the number three remind you of that fateful night. The number three forever now will remind you of this beautiful morning. You with me? See that's happening? The charcoal fire. The number three, the being asked questions. God is saying, come to terms with your mistakes, Peter. I've forgiven you of those things. You need to forgive yourself. Let's rise above those mistakes. Let's cover those mistakes. Let's redeem those mistakes. Let's use those mistakes for good. Now, I'm no expert on the subject, but I wonder if a lot of our complacency and apathy isn't rooted in how many of us think about our mistakes. We're afraid of trying again, right? We're scared of, of messing up a second or third or fourth time. We're worried we're going to look like a fool or get burned or come out with less than we started with. Better not try at all than try and fail, the mentality many of us have. Mistakes can cause many of us to feel meh. And Jesus says no to all of that. He says, I know that you're hurt. I know your mistakes are limiting you and stopping you from moving forward and making progress. But let me heal you, Peter. I know you messed up. I know you crossed lines you swore you would never cross. I know you're beating yourself up for what you said and what you did. I know it'd be easier to run away. I know you want to sit in this little boat and never face me again. I'm not going to let you. 
I'm going to bring you out of meh. Your mistakes do not define you. They were a single moment in time. They are not the entirety of your story. You with me, church? They are not the defining mark of you. Your mistakes were a moment, Peter. They're not your defining mark. So come and have breakfast. The third and final thing. I'm going to invite the band up as we talk through this one. The third and final thing that we can do to cure the complacency, overcome this giant, is to live out our mission. So Jesus asks Peter three times, does he love him? And then he gives him a response three times to his response. And each response, it's a calling, is it not? Each response is, is, a, is a reminder of his mission. Love, serve, help, heal other people, Jesus says. See, Jesus is telling Peter, there's no time for fishing, brah. You want to go fish? We'll do it in eternity. I promise you. But there are too many things that God needs you to do right now. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. There's no talk of fishing at all in Christ's response. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, I've called you to change lives, to change people's eternities. I've created you to care for and serve and minister to others in a way that nobody else can and nobody else will. I made you for a mission. And you better believe that mission is bigger than sitting in this little boat. You better believe that mission is working a part-time job. You better believe that mission is playing video games all day long. You better believe that mission is greater than going through the motions in your marriage or with your kids. You better believe that mission is as big of a mission as God himself can give. Amen? It's bigger than what you're doing right now. So stop doing what you're doing right now. I need you to do something else. This is not unique to Peter, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork. We're creating Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created you to do great things, period. And he had those things in mind before you were ever born. As he's creating the world, he's also thinking of the great things that you are going to do for him, for others. But your enemy, if he can get you to not care, he knows you won't live out your calling. If he can get you to be lazy, he knows you won't ever be fully alive. If he can trap you in meh, he knows you won't fulfill your mission. So when you begin to love others, this call of tending and caring and loving the sheep and the, and, the, and the lambs or whatever it is, it's just a matter of caring for other people. When you start to pour yourself into your spouse, you start to pour yourself into your kids, you start to really care about your neighbors, you start to genuinely show an interest in your coworkers and your classmates and people around you, when you start to love others, start to give yourself away for the sake of others, you will not be meh. I guarantee you, you cannot be meh and love another person at the exact same time. Loving others and caring for others and ministering to others is how you overcome meh. Don't live a life of isolation or disappointment or second best. Don't play it safe. Don't hide on the lake and just go fishing. Do the great things God created you to do. Do them. And it's going to start with loving others. So to my friends, if you're like Peter, if you're feeling meh about things right now, if the giant of complacency is overpowering you, if you're thinking it's just, it's just easier to not care, it's just easier to do the same old thing, it's just easier to not make any waves, no, 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 follow Peter's example, make waves, jump off the boat, make some waves in this life, jump out of meh and go to Christ.
Complacency is conquered when you spend more time with your maker, when you come to terms with your mistakes, and when you live out your mission. And if you listen, if you listen carefully, when you do those three things, you will hear this 10-foot, hairy, scary giant fall dead to the ground. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together. Because guess what? Jesus invited those old boys to breakfast. And if I'm right, it's still, it's still brunch-ish time. So we're going to have a meal with Jesus as well in these next few moments. There's a few tables down here, one or two up top as well. Take a few minutes and see yourself in this story, John 21. You're in the boat. You're stuck in complacency. You're just kind of meh about everything. Go to your maker. He's inviting you to this meal. Take the meal. And as you do, come to terms with your mistakes. They are forgiven. They are erased. They are gone forever. He wants to redeem those and use them for good. And as you take the elements as well, say, God, I want you to infuse me now with your life so I can go out and change people's life. Right? This meal is perfect for this moment. So let me pray over it, pray for you. We'll spend some time doing that together. God, we thank you that you are such a good God. When we are so meh, <laughs> you come to us. And you come in grace and love and mercy. You come with breakfast already cooked. come with an invitation to sit and to be with you. You come with an opportunity to give you our mistakes and for you to give us a second, third, 10,000 chance, God. You come with a reminder that we have so many important things to do that we need to put down the remote, put down the phone, put down the mirror, put down the scale, put down the magazine, put down the, the savings account spreadsheet. God, put it down. There's so many other things we have to do. Call us out of meh in this moment. Help this meal to be like that of the bread and the fish on that beach in John 21. God, help us to commune with you now, to feel your love and embrace, to accept your forgiveness and your mercy, and to receive and respond to your call to love other people so well. Do that now. Minister to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.